This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. Welcome back to another edition of Business Impact as we head towards the final part of the academic term. Not that all of you listening are necessarily concerned about that timetable, but we are here at the UCD Business School. Students looking towards their futures, uh, getting out into the job market if they're in their final year. So it's an interesting time here on the UCD Business School campus. There's a lot of coming and going and a lot of people coming in and out of apartment blocks looking very worried because they're putting in that last bit of minute of studying. So it is that time of the year. Also, the weather more generally is very, very good. It's been a brilliant week when we are recording. When you actually are listening to this, there could be rain and sleet and everything coming in because it is still April and weather is described as variable by the official Met Air and weather forecast I read this morning. Now, over the last few months, we've been talking a lot about different things in terms of companies, the climate out there, the atmosphere that business has done and in society generally. And the, I suppose you'd call it the more rancorous air what we've lived through before COVID and then kind of accelerated by the COVID period and then we've come out of it, it hasn't dropped away. People are still at each other's throats on social media. Companies find it hard to manage this whole atmosphere. They find it hard to get down to their core business because they are, there is a sort of an atmosphere, everything must be criticised, everything must be picked at. Sometimes it's deserved, other times not so much. So what is the culture out there? What is the atmosphere like and how can organisations and leaders in particular get through this period and what is what we would call good practice actually look like. And my guest today is going to talk about all of those things. She is an author, a TED speaker, and she is a major, major authority on good leadership because she's actually doing it in practice with companies all over the country. She was a company director by the age of 27. She went on to found two companies. These names will be familiar to a lot of our listeners, the Entrepreneurs Academy and QED, who are accreditation experts She's also been involved with the John Maxwell Executive Director team. But most importantly for our conversation, she is the founder of the National Leadership Initiative called Lift Ireland, which is focusing on building positive and ethical leadership across the country, right from the kitchen table through the classroom, the clubhouse and boardroom. And 50,000 people have already benefited from Lift's round tables that have been taking place over the last four years, including during the COVID pandemic. And she's going to tell us a lot more about that. And that is Joanne Hessian, who is a BCom graduate to boot. Joanne, you're very welcome below. Thanks a million, Emmett. Great to be here. Yeah, I hope you don't feel under pressure from the build-up in the biography, but you've done a lot and a lot of it from a very early age. As I said, you've been a BCom graduate. You haven't followed the traditional path, I suppose, which is get to the degree, go into one of the bigger um, accountancy consultancy groups and move on from there. Um, you've kind of followed a different path and it's led you to some interesting places including outside Ireland and Africa and everything, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But tell us a little bit about your journey right from those days when, when you, you left the UCD campus. I loved my time in UCD. I really did. It's changed a huge amount. I drove through it the other day, actually, Emmett, and I was thinking, whoa, would I love to be in college now? It looks fantastic. Yeah, I did a BCom and I went from there, actually, and did an MBS in the Smurfit School. And funnily, I did go into one of the big accounting firms. I had, hadn't done an MBS in finance, but what I ended up doing was 
there, really, it was the early 90s. There weren't many jobs around at all, Emmett. And so I applied to the big four accounting firms because I thought it'd be good interview practice and then got offered a job. So absolutely couldn't turn that down. Got offered an audit position with Ernst & Young. But look, a year into that, I really knew that audit wasn't for me. My dad was a chartered accountant, so I was very familiar with that route, all right. But I kind of in my head thought, no, it, it's just it's just not the right, the right thing for me. So I did a U-turn out of there and actually applied for a job to work back with UCD for a little while, which is what I did. Yes. Now, you did that for a while as well. And you're involved in, in the accreditation area, which for people who aren't in the university sector might not realise that this is a, a huge part of standard setting, I suppose, internationally. We'll know the league tables that they come with and universities all over the world, UCD among them, wants to be as highly placed on those uh, league tables and wants to get as much accreditation from respected bodies as it can get because they are essentially rubber stamping the quality of the courses and the teaching and the research that's on offer. So, Joanne, you got involved in accreditation. Um, so that was something that you kind of learned there was actually a business in. It wasn't just purely something confined to to the academe world, that there was something else there. And you discover that fairly quickly. Yeah, I it was actually after I'd left UCD and I'd gone a couple of done a couple of other things and I was starting my business and the dean at the time approached me and said, look, we're going down this route of looking at international accreditation for the business schools. We would love if you'd come on board the team. So I, I was really interested in it because it's a, it's, it's a look at a university or business schools. What's their vision? What's their mission? And then who do they hire to achieve that mission? And then all the students going through, are we actually doing what we what we set out to do? So it's a real root and branch look at a whole business school, the strategy of it. I absolutely loved that. And it takes a, it takes a business school a long time to get internationally accredited. And so I worked with UCD for um, just over two years. And then it was even longer in the second one. But UCD were the ninth school in the world to get the top three accreditations in the world, which was fantastic. And in fact, we wrote an article at the time called the Triple Crown of Accreditation, which we'd obviously all understand that. But it has become a phrase now that worldwide is known amongst business schools. Uh, the Triple Crown of Accreditation schools go for the Triple Crown. Uh, of course, the Americans think that they 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 coined the phrase, but they didn't. Uh, it was down to us at the time in UCD. So it was brilliant. Yeah, I don't know if you can stick a retrospective copyright on that, but it might be a bad idea. Let me just go to a little bit. I was looking through your LinkedIn um, as part of my research before I talked to you, and and a lot of it I understand and I comprehend, and was was kind of what I might expect of somebody who had a BCom um, qualification. But something that kind of peered out at me that was a surprise was January nineteen ninety five to January nineteen ninety seven, emergency aid worker Rwanda Tanzania. Tell me what what's that all about? <laughs> yeah, do you know what I think? After I left the accountancy world, and you know, when you when you leave a BCom or an MBS and then you're or an MAC and then you're going down the accountancy route, you're kind of on a a, a, a pretty straightforward trajectory to become an accountant and and so on and move into business. Um, and more often than not, do really well in that. And I, when I decided to do a U-turn on that, I really was thinking about, well, what do I actually want to do with my life? And I applied for a job back in the Smurfit School because, again, it was a job I was interested in. Uh, and I'm really glad that I worked there for a couple of years. But then the economy starts to heat up a little bit in the 90s. And everybody that I was talking to and all the business students that were leaving college, you know, everybody was talking about money. And it was as if everything was about money. And I started to wonder, was I really suited to the business world? Now, 
I absolutely love business. I love the efficiency of it. I love the systems. I love how it works. But I, I was a bit disillusioned and I thought, do you know what? I can't, I, I just don't feel there's any sort of heart and soul or, or purpose in business. And I, I was a bit disillusioned and I thought, you know what, maybe the charity world is for me. So I don't know, was it somebody that had come in to talk to us at school or I don't know where the sort of seeds had been sown for me. But I decided to apply to work with one of the aid agencies. Concern was the one that I went with. So I remember the day actually when I was at work in UCD and the call came that I I, I was applying to go to a development field, but actually got asked to go to an emergency field. So I got sent to the Rwandan border which is a completely different setting from the leafy suburbs of Dublin. But yeah, so I headed over there after the Rwandan genocide in in 95. So I arrived over a little bit later, actually, in 95 and spent uh, just over a year there. Amazing experience in all the positives and uh, all the different variants of amazing that you can take. It was just phenomenal. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, Rwanda, of course, a a troubled country at that particular time. It's obviously greatly stabilised since then, but there was that terrible civil war that happened around that period. So I'm sure you've got amazing memories seared into your mind from what you saw over there at the time. You then came back, as you say, and you set up a number of different businesses. And I suppose the Entrepreneurs Academy is one that you've been involved with for a long time. Tell us a little bit about working there where you were involved in training, a lot of it attempting to get people to start a business and then, of course, stay and be resilient in the business. Tell me a little bit about that, because that's the the project you've been kind of with the the longest time. So it must have been an amazing um, dedication to it. You know, you've really you've really gone with it over a long period of time. Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And and actually, it really stemmed out of my experience in Africa, because when I was in Africa and when you're in refugee camps and people have absolutely nothing. I mean, we were meeting people coming across the border that had I mean, had had nothing and less than nothing. And with concern, we were allowed to set up primary education schools. And it was really through that experience and thinking about it a lot that I realised how how damn lucky I had been with the education that I'd received in Ireland. Um, I, you know, I'd gone to a great school um, and, and then I'd gone on to college and, you know, I, I just had been so fortunate and so taken it for granted. So that really firmed up my belief that education education was just fantastic. And when I came back, the reason I set up the Entrepreneurs Academy, which was about a year and a half later, was because you know, it's all about equipping people with the right tools and the right education to be able to do what they need to do. And and I was really interested in startup businesses and so started to look at that whole area and set up a training company. I, I stayed with it so long simply because, one, I loved it. I'm passionate about entrepreneurship. I'm passionate about people achieving their potential. And, and I just had the and still have the most amazing team that work there. So, you know, like taking a group of people that are at that initial startup phase and we don't set up the business for them, they do it themselves. We equip and empower them and give them really practical tools to set up their business and then keep on, you know, cheering from the sidelines and giving them the the tools and whatever they need to make sure that they stay in business because that's, that's the real challenge. But yeah, I stayed there as long as I... I, I set it up. It's 25 years old, actually, this year. Um, and I and I stayed with it because I felt it was it was it's a private company. It's a profit making company. But at the same time, we had a real social focus. So when we went through the downtimes at the last recession, I mean, we huge unemployment rates 
And we, uh, you know, we did a competitive tender with the government to take people out of long term unemployment and to get them set up in their own job because there weren't any jobs. So it was about looking out there and saying, OK, well, what 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 needs are out there and how can we create self-employment out of this? Um, and we had huge success rates with that programme over a couple of years. And, you know, that's really meaningful work. It was it was a privilege to be involved, I have to say, with the academy and the team that are there now do an amazing job. Now, let's track you on to the, the core of our conversation, which is because as I said, the, your, your personal journey is interesting in its own right. But let's move forward a little bit to August 2017. Um, I suppose after uh, 2017, you've got the Trump presidency, you've got Brexit. It's a it's a it's an interesting time politically and, and even socially as well. And you set up a new organisation called Leading Ireland's Future Together, our lift, as it's called. And this is an issue to drive ethical and positive leadership in Ireland. This organisation is a not-for-profit social enterprise that's building a culture of character-based leadership in schools, communities, organisations, sports clubs and individuals across Ireland. And it talks about equipping, empowering and enabling change through our education system, sport, business, the arts and government. Now, this is a very interesting initiative. I've already given some of the numbers and metrics at the introduction, but why did you set it up, Joanne? What was it? I mean, as you said, you were in a a profit-making company, minding your own business, you know, doing your stuff, uh, running that company. What made you in August 2017 take a bit of a somersault out of that model and head over to this totally different world of not-for-profit and say, I want to do something that has... You know, these are lofty, ambitious goals. So a lot of people would find that, you know, they might put them off because it is something that's a national drive and it's talking about big teams as well. Um, but you embrace this. So tell me a little bit about coming into setting up Lyft in the first place. Yeah, and I, I think probably one sentence that sums it up is that it's really important that we don't leave these things to chance. You know, we, we have a great country with great people. And yet, as I kind of look at it and, and as I looked across different sectors, I'd constantly be reminded of, you know, scandals and, you know, poor behaviour. And, and I'd ask myself, you know, golly, if I was sitting around that table, would I have put up my hand and asked another question? And would I have said, hey, hang on, guys, we've got to look at this again. And, and, and I'm not... I'm no different to anybody else. So why is it that we end up, you know, with with poor behaviour like this? And that's really at its extreme. Um, We also have a lot of disengagement in workplaces. We have people that are stressed. um, And it's all to do, Emmett, with human behaviour. It's all to do with how we're behaving and how we're acting. And that's whether it's at my kitchen table or yours, or whether it's in our boardrooms or uh, in our colleges. It's wherever we are. Our human behaviour has a positive or a negative influence on the people around us. So I suppose it kind of came to a crossroads for me in 2017 where I thought, do you know what, am I going to do something about this? I only get to live once. And I was in my, I was 47 at the time and I remember, or 46 maybe, and I was thinking, you know what, if I gave 10 years to seeing if we could actually if I could lead myself a little bit better, but if I could also equip and empower other people to do the same, and if we could do it in a way that people that can afford to pay for it do, and people that can't afford to pay for it never get turned away, that they can also do it, um, then we could create social change in this whole country. So we could not only make cultures better within organisations, but all the way down to families, homes, communities, sports clubs, colleges, classrooms, 
uh, and so on. So it's it's definitely it's a it's a one person at a time initiative that we took on. We had nobody involved right at the beginning. We launched in 2018 and we would nobody uh, involved before we launched. And now we have, I think it's just over 53,000 people that uh, have done the Lyft programme. And Lyft is roundtables. That's what we do. It's a, it's a very structured, very easy to do. It's simple, but not simplistic. Um, it's a process that organisations can use to, for people to strengthen their character and lead themselves better and have more positive influence around them. Now, in terms, let's let's go, let's penetrate into some of these words. You're talking about bad behaviour, um, Joanne, in particular. Like, obviously, people say, "Well, what what is that? Or what's good behaviour? What's bad behaviour? Can you?" Just break that down a little bit more for the listeners. What, what, what do you mean when you say that? Well, there is a, there, there are, of course, there's a whole spectrum of it. I mean, at one end, we've got unethical behaviour happening. And I'm not saying it is happening, but unethical behaviour that might happen in an organisation, say, for example. Or it could be at another side. It could be it could be me with my colleagues paying, you know, uh, a lot of attention to what one is saying, then somebody, else, another colleague says something and I completely dismiss it and I move on to the next colleague. Our behaviour can be poor to a high level or to a, a, a low level. It's all, it's all along a spectrum of poor behaviour. There's lots of it. But if, let me, let me talk, t- describe it in a different way. So one thing that good behaviour does, Emmett, is, is that it builds trust with the people around us. Okay, so Emmett, you and I have have met, and um, so there's a certain amount of trust that's built up between us. If I, the next time we meet, if I turn up late, then you know some of that trust starts to go down a tiny bit. Neither of us will really notice. Now I should mention you were you were slightly late on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, only joking, yeah, you were you were actually perfectly on time. <laughs> but then, but then the next time we meet, if if we meet and if there's somebody else there with us, and if you know I spend all my time talking, Emmett, and don't do any listening at all, or if everything that's coming out of my mouth is quite negative and criticising and so on. What I'm doing there is I'm starting to crumble the trust that has built up between us. So my behaviour, that's poor behaviour. And eventually you'll get to stage where you go, oh, do you know what? I don't really want to meet her again. Uh, So, so, you know, there's all kinds of levels of of behaviour and how we're influencing the people around us. And when you get people around these roundtables, I know, and it's really important to mention, mention on this lifting that it's not just aimed at corporate leaders are leaders of any kind, whether sports teams, clubs, schools, universities, whatever. A leader is defined not by the role, but by how they influence a circle around them. That's just important because we do we do talk to other people on the podcast about who are purely looking at, at corporate leadership. But the thing that I find most interesting, you get people around this table, nobody likes to be told they may be demonstrating bad behaviour. It's not generally welcomed when you point this out to them. So how do the round tables work? Like, like... Do people get very huffy about this and say, hang on, and then there's a bit of pushback? Or what's the reaction when you you start investigating possible bad behaviour and not bad listening skills and so on? Yes, there are a couple of things here. Firstly, we run roundtables everywhere. We've run them in the Quinn School there. Some of the Smurfit students, uh, school students do it as well. We run it in 275 schools. Uh, We run it in uh, not-for-profits like Laura Lynn and Goal and uh, Purple House Cancer Treatment Centre, as well as cancer trials and 
you know, the major banks, CPL, uh, the ESB and many, many, many other great organisations. So it's run everywhere, you know, and from big organisations to small, like the Burn Smokehouse and Listum Varna. So it is run everywhere. And you're absolutely right. It isn't just for positional leaders because, and, and if I could just segue here a little bit, Emmett, a positional lead, I might have a title um, as CEO of my organisation. So I have a positional leadership title that does not make me a good leader. All it does is buy me a little bit of time with the people around me. If I behave well, if I've got integrity, if I show empathy, if I'm listening, if I've got a positive attitude, if I'm respectful both of myself and the people around me, if I hold myself accountable, if I hold you accountable, but do it in a kind and a respectful way rather than annihilating you in front of a whole load of people. If I do all these things, these you know, that's what makes me a good leader. It's about being bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. A, a title is just on the outside. So um, Lyft is about strengthening our leadership muscle, no matter who we are, whether we have a position or not. And how it works is a group of five people come together to do a roundtable. They can do it online. It doesn't take long. It takes about 30 to 40 minutes. They come together once a week. And one of those people has been through our training. And our training takes less than a day to do. But one of those people has been through our training, so they know exactly how to run roundtables and they know why we run them the way that we do. It's all based on a lot of science, a lot of research, a lot of learning theories, and that, that's why it really works. But five people come together and they look at an area of leadership. We give them eight areas to start off to look at, one a week for eight weeks. And these eight areas are areas that are chosen by the people of Ireland as areas that we need to work on in this country. And can you give us some examples of those? Absolutely. So when we did the research before we launched, Ireland said, if we're to lead better, we need more listening. Listening, okay. More positive attitude. We need more respect. We need more accountability, more determination, more competence, more integrity and more empathy. No, that's a big shopping list. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what? Do you know and all in this session, this one round table. <laughs> no, no, and actually, that's a good point. So one round table, it, it, it's not going to make you perfect at it. And this is, yeah. not, this is not about being perfect either. We're all human. What it does is it raises your self-awareness and it gives you the opportunity to take one small, tiny action step to get a little bit better. And it's the... It's all those action steps that come together that help you to strengthen your muscle, a bit like you're going to the gym, but you're just checking in. And Joanne, is one of your challenges, and I, 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 listening is a good art, so maybe I'm going against this myself, but uh, the, the question that occurs to me is these can be subjective. So can can somebody turn up at the round table and say, you know, I, I believe I'm a good listener or I believed I behaved ethically in that example. Like, how, how do you handle that where... Somebody arrives and they could be somebody in a very senior role, as you've mentioned a few minutes ago, that that either doesn't accept or argues the toss, I suppose. Like, in other words, once you 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 kind of point it out or, or, or the group pointed out, do people take to that well or, or, or do they push back or, or what happens when that moment arrives? Well, it, one of the rules of the roundtable is you're not allowed to comment on what anybody else says. So, um, you know, one example of a roundtable I'm familiar with where a, a group of colleagues were all coming together and it was, you know, there was one individual that was causing a little bit of trouble uh, within the organisation. And on the sixth roundtable, they sat down and before the roundtable started, they said, I'm 
a problem here. I'm the problem here, you know, because the, the beauty of the round table is that you're just reflecting on yourself and nobody is commenting, which means nobody is judging you. So you get that space, that safe space to just stop and reflect on yourself. That can be a little bit uncomfortable at times. Uh, just like for this individual, sixth session where he went, whoa, actually, I can see uh, I've been a bit of a problem. Joanne, I, I say that you name this person. <laughs> <laughs> name them now. Uh, make it even worse. Make them squirm even further. But uh, no, I understand what you're saying. It take, it's a process. It's a process. It's not going to happen in the first time. And it's it's interesting. In terms of, so there, there you've identified the different areas where, where improvements can be made. What What's the overall objective of the programme itself? Take back, uh, leave the individuals out who are participating and the trainers and all of that. Because you've set yourself a huge goal, you, you, you know, you're, you're driving ethical and positive leadership across Ireland. That, that's, that's huge. I mean, that, that's, I don't know, has it, you know, will it ever be achieved? We probably won't get to an end point as such. But what, where, where, when will you know in a year's time or we're making real headway? Is it the numbers? Is it the, the kind of um, public behaviour that we'll see? Is it in businesses? Is it in the value? Like, how will you know, oh, yeah, we're, we're making real headway. This this is actually having a real effect. It's it's seeping into the, the consciousness of, of this country more generally. When will you know that moment has arrived? So uh, we've set a 10-year goal to get 10% of the population doing roundtables. With 10% of people on the island doing roundtables, we will get a, a knock-on ripple effect that will impact the whole country. But we already know it's happening. I've had CEOs that I've chatted to that said, I don't need to measure anything here. Now, we do measure everything. But he said, I don't need to measure anything here because I can feel it around the place. I mean, if you've got 1,000 or 1,500 people in your organisation that are taking one small, tiny action step in a specific area, that week, you can start to feel that around the organisation. You don't know what it is. You don't know what it is that they're doing, but you can start to, to feel it. So um, it, it also gives people a common language to use. So we have organisations that have been using roundtables uh, before mediation in different situations and saying, look, you, you know, you, you two, we'd like you to go on roundtables and do them together and so on. And uh, so it, but we, we are measuring impact, Emmett, the whole way. Our overall goal is to create positive change both in Ireland and by Ireland um, and we've already had two countries that have contacted us and said we're interested in what you're doing and in, interested in learning about what you're doing um, and so we're going to go into talks and see can we share some of what we're doing with them uh, and also some of the organisations that are partnered with us there are Oh, nearly 400 organisations in total partnered with us um, and a number of them have got um, uh, have got subsidiaries uh, in other parts of Europe and in other parts of the world. And so it's being pulled outside in that way. But our focus is Ireland because, Emmet, really why, why I'm doing it is to... Uh, is because I love this country, absolutely love it. I, I I think it's a fantastic place to be. I think we're really good, but we're good with a small G. And I think we could be good with a big G. Well, it's good to that, 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 that sort of brings me on to the, the, the other question I wanted to ask you, which is, what's your assessment? I don't have the benefit of sitting down at X thousands of round tables and all the rest of it. I meet people from hither and thither, but I, I don't have it at any scale the state of Irish leadership, are, are, are we good, getting better, going backwards around the same? What, what's your own assessment? Because you're, you're speaking to these people, you're sitting around, you're doing training, you're meeting them, you're having conversations and dialogue with them. I mean, what, what's the, the, the present health of Irish leadership in your view? Because obviously you started this programme because it needed some bit of a kick up the backside, right? It needed some improvement, but 
maybe we're getting better. We don't see as much ethical scandals as, say, in the 80s or even the 90s, but maybe that's just because they haven't been uncovered. They're out there lurking. But what, what, what do you think the state of Irish leadership is? Are, are you optimistic or pessimistic or where are you on that question? No, I'm really optimistic. We have been absolutely hoovered up by uh, organisations wanting to do lift. I'm, I'm heading into town later today to talk to 25 senior executives in different organisations about lift and to do a roundtable with them because they're all interested in knowing how it works and how they can get greater engagement within their organisations through lift and, and really how they can engage enhance uh, culture culture change because you know everybody everybody wants that you know that that's what they want so I'm extremely positive about it I mean where we see negative things it's not just the scandals it's not just that it's all the little things that happen and you know it's not that people have bad intentions I certainly do not think that people do I think it's a lack of awareness. It's a, it's a lack of self-awareness. I mean, there's Harvard Review that says that only 10 to 15 people are really self-aware. So, um, you know, it's not malicious that people do bad things, that they behave in a bad way, but, uh, or, or and, and sometimes it can sound very harsh, you know, even describing it as behaving a bad way, but, you know, sometimes we just don't know any better. So this is a way for both our, you know, our, our students at college and UCD and others and those that go into the workplace, and even before that, when they're in school, it's a, it's a, it's a way for us to build a nation of stronger individuals and and lead better out in absolutely everything that we do, whether we go into a nonprofit or whether we go into work in one of our corporations or whether we go in to lead a school or be part of a school, part of a team. Sure, and as you say, it is a not-for-profit social enterprise, So, but you're obviously employing people as well, so it's important to, to point that part out. that It's not a charity, which is an entirely different uh, structure. So where what are your ambitions for the whole thing? I mean, is it just keep the numbers coming in and more and more roundtables and, and spread the network far and wide, or is it going to change and evolve? Is it partnering up with others? What do you see as we kind of leave the COVID pandemic a little bit behind and move into a new phase? What do you see the the use of it or, or the purpose of it going forward into the next few years? We're at a lovely phase right at the moment, and you're absolutely right. There are eight on the team, and we are we're we're a business. There's no doubt we're a business. We just don't make money, um, you know, or at least we we make profit, but we keep putting it back in. So, for example, at the moment, I mean, we have raised a lot of money. Uh, since the start to get Lyft to where it is now. But we have invested that back in and getting materials and training to 275 schools uh, and subsidising all organisations that can't, you know, afford to pay what we might ask for to, to use it. So it's very much a trust and integrity model there. And we, we're, we're at a really exciting phase because we have brought it over years one and two. We're just setting up the structure, proof of concept, measuring impact, all, all those kind of things. And then we started to scale in years three and four and we're now at 53,000 people. So years five onwards are all about getting to the other 450,000. So um, that's going to take big uh, a bigger amount of investment to get us there. We're not looking to set up an empire in Lyft or anything like that. We don't need that because it's a very scalable model. We're looking to embed Lyft into the structures that already exist within the country. Yeah, we're now moving on to that next phase of getting 450,000 people involved, which is very exciting. It it certainly is. And one final question I'd like to ask you, uh, it's a bit more about the the climate out there, the the, the civic space, if we can uh, call it that. But Social media, so penetrative now, big numbers, you know, millions and millions of users in Ireland and then billions of users globally. 
And that often sets a very, maybe if you're being sympathetic, it's a cacophonous kind of atmosphere, but you might say a poisonous atmosphere, certainly a polarising atmosphere. Um, it's not just Twitter, but you know, other other platforms that we should uh, maybe mention. I mean, you're coming into that atmosphere, you're coming into that environment, and, and you're saying it, what we have here is very collective, it, it's not adversarial, it's not conflict-driven, and we're trying to correct behaviours. Do you see yourselves as kind of almost being an antidote to that other world that I'm describing? Can you play a part in, dare I say, dialing the tone down at times, making people think a little bit before they post and so on? Do you think you have a role in that area? Is that part of the program that you're you're looking to explore? It really is. I mean, we're we're looking at building, you know, values based leadership, like inner character muscle, if that makes sense. So that if you're on social media, you may not think twice. It moves so quickly, and you've something posted before you think about it. But what Lyft then enables you to do is to stop and reflect on your behaviour and and go, hang on, hang on, did I do that right? Did I not? Do I need to go back and and correct something that I did? Do I need to go back and apologise somewhere? And and that that sort of re- self reflection starts to change your behaviour for future uh, actions that you're going to take. We've created in the schools actually a cyber positivity roundtable, which is to allow our young people to stop and reflect on their online behaviour in the last 24 to 48 hours. And just, you know, we're not we're not telling them what to do. We're giving them the space and the chance to stop and think, hang on, am I doing the right thing there? Did I do the right thing there? And what is one small, tiny action step that I can take to improve my behaviour in this area, even if even if I'm a nine out of ten already and I'm doing great. What is that little bit? So it's all about self improvement and self awareness and reflecting on ourselves. So yeah, I do. I, I think we have a role. It, it's interesting. I you know I asked a, a group recently where do we learn this behaviour? You know, mostly they said, look, we learn it at home or we learn it at at school. And then I went on and did a round table with this group of adults who all scored themselves a sort of three or four out of 10, not all, but many, four out of 10. At a particular area, we were looking at listening. And and then we were sort of thinking, wow, our young people are learning this at home. You know, we're modelling this behaviour. That's why we all need to do it. We all need to stop and reflect on our behaviour. The world is busy. It's very, very busy and it is pulling at us all the time, whether on social media or other things. So Lyft gives you that chance, you, your organisation, your colleagues, your community, that chance to stop and think just for 30 minutes once a week, hang on, how am I leading myself, those people around me and how do I get a little bit better? I like this image of you in a, a Zen moment here, <laughs> cyber positivity with the, the incense burning behind you because uh, <laughs> you're, you're certainly... Um, bringing out those teams. I'm going to have to leave the conversation now. Um, it's been very enjoyable. People can take learnings even from this conversation, even if they don't take part in the roundtables, but we do encourage them to do that too as well. Lots of positivity and cyber positivity to be encouraged. Johan Hessian is the CEO and founder of Lyft. Thank you very much for joining us on Business Impact and good luck with the programme. Thanks, Emmett. Thanks a million. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of Beth Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes, and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver. 
We hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact.